Hey, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be uh, back together again. And as we've mentioned a couple times this morning is Palm Sunday. So we're going to take a look at, at Palm Sunday. And I don't know about you guys, but I grew up, um, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and my mom did the best that she could to, to get us to church and to raise us in, in the Catholic faith. And um, growing up, Palm Sunday was not necessarily something that I looked forward to. It was, we just knew it was going to be a long, maybe twice as long as uh, as the usual service. And even if the priests that we really liked, who kept their their sermons to like, you know, 10 minutes, were, were leading the service that day, um, even then the service was still going to be long. And I, as I, I didn't come to faith until I was 18. And in hindsight, um, now that I know Jesus and I know the Bible a little bit better, man, did I miss out on what a beautiful experience the Palm Sunday service is. And um, Palm Sunday takes us from um, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Sunday, all the way up until five days later when he, the crowd turns on him and he is, he's tried and convicted and tortured and, and executed. Um, and that whole story is told in the, in the midst of, of the Palm Sunday experience. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at Palm Sunday through the lens of a couple of Psalms. We've been in this teaching series on the book of Psalms, calling it the greatest hits. And uh, there are several references to the Psalms in the Palm Sunday story. Specifically, uh, we're going to look at some of Jesus's words from the, from the cross as we, as we move ahead. We're going to jump right in here with Psalm 118. And um, this verse, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So if you have a church background, you might recognize this. This verse is quoted by a crowd hundreds of years later as Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem. Um, it is Jesus is getting the royal treatment. It's like today's equivalent of a, a ticker tape parade. And Jesus, as he did towards the end of his three years of public ministry, he was creating a ruckus. Um, those people who loved him wanted to make him king. And those people who, who hated him, they, um, they wanted him dead. So we're going to take a look at this, um, this verse quoted in context in the Gospel of John. This is John chapter 12. If you are following along at home, we're looking at verses 12 through 19. The next day. The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Just Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him? Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, and the people are, they're greeting him. They were waiting for the promised Messiah. They were waiting for their promised king to come in and conquer and free them 
from the oppressive occupying Roman government. Um, and that was Jesus being king is part of the plan from the beginning. And Jesus was in on that plan. He was part of the team that came up with that plan before time even began. And it, it was that he would become the king of ages, the king of kings, right? But before that happens, the king of kings has to serve, right? The, what we see is Jesus um, serving by giving his all when he goes and he dies on the cross. He gives absolutely everything that he has. We see um, perhaps the world's greatest moment of suffering on the cross and at the same time, the greatest example of, of servanthood and love on the cross. But what we also see in that is there's this great disparity between what the people expect disciples. And then there is the fear of those, uh, those friends and followers and disciples that Jesus, what happened to him could very well, it was a well within the realm of possibility that it could happen to those disciples and those followers. And I don't have to tell you guys that today we are all faced with the struggles. We are all faced with uncertainty. We are all faced with doubt and fear. And, and it can be devastating and it can be crushing. But we got to remember the two crowns, right? The crown of thorns and after the crown of thorns comes the royal crown, right? Jesus's divinity wins. God wins. And as we look at that, we realize that Jesus can and does bring growth and gifts out of heartbreak. Jesus brings growth and gifts out of heartbreak. And we're going to um, we're going to dig in to Psalm 22 to, to see exactly what I mean by when I say that. So Jesus, as I've said, was um, he was tried. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was flogged or, or whipped. And then he was nailed. He was nailed to a cross. And as he um, began to realize that his time was coming to an end, um, he was he was crying out to God. And in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew captures these words of Jesus. And the, this is uh, chapter 27, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Psalm 22, 1. So Jesus is, is crying out to God. And in Psalm 22, Scholars tell us that there is as many as five, um, five references to Psalm 22 in the gospel accounts of the crucifixion. So I'm going to concentrate on the first and the last. Uh, I'll leave it up to you guys to go see if you can find all five. You let me know if you find all five in Psalm 22, because we're just talking about 22.1 and Psalm 22.31 this morning, the first and the last. So of all the verses in the Old Testament, why would Jesus quote Psalm 22, verse 1? And I have two ideas around that. And the first one is um, Jesus felt, he felt abandoned, right? He, he felt, and by saying that, right, some people who would be um, uh, hostile to the gospel, hostile to Jesus, would use this as an argument against Jesus as being God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. Why did he feel forsaken? If he was in on a plane, if he knew everything, why did he feel forsaken? And guys, this is super, super important. Jesus, when he walked to earth, 
He walked the earth fully human and he walked the earth fully God. So in his divinity, when he died on that cross, there's something supernatural that happened. And the pain that he felt wasn't just the physical pain, but he felt the pain, the suffering, the hurt, the brokenness of all humanity throughout all history. As he hung on the cross, that weight hung on his shoulders. And as a man, that's as God, as a man, he felt all the emotion that went with that. He felt the betrayal. He felt the hurt. He felt the loss. He felt the broken heartedness. Jesus quotes Psalm 22, 1, because he feels every bit of pain and suffering that you and I feel, and he wanted to communicate that. The other reason that I think he quotes this is that Jesus knew his Old Testament. He knew how Psalm 22 ends. Let me read this for you. Psalm 22, verse 31. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Jesus starts with cries of abandonment and he finishes. He knows the ending. He says, I win. And in the gospel of John, Jesus' very last words on the cross are, it is finished. The Greek equivalent of he has has done it. Jesus reminds us, He reminds us that heartbreak and pain and suffering don't have the last word. He has the last word and he wins. Jesus wins. We start in verse one with those cries of abandonment and we end with Jesus reminding us. Even on the cross, Jesus is reaching out to people and wanting them to know, I got this, right? I know things don't look good, but I got this. He has done it, right? So Jesus does the the heavy lifting in the sense that he takes the weight and the brokenness that sin creates right on his shoulders on the cross and so how do we how do we step into that so we can experience growth and gifts in the midst of of heartbreak Uh, i have a couple of thoughts for you and the first one is i've begun abbreviating this phrase that i use all the time fix your eyes on jesus fix your eyes on jesus i've abbreviated it fye And basically what that means in the context of going through the stuff that we're going through and feeling some of the things that we're feeling is we fix our eyes on Jesus and we don't look at our problems. We don't look to Jesus through our problems. We look to our problems through Jesus. And when we do that, we are able to to fight against the temptation of things like like self-medicating, right? We don't want to feel all the suffering and hurt that's going on around us. So we binge watch Netflix or we drink a bottle of wine before we go to bed at night, or we just work constantly, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, or we, we stuff down those feelings. We just jam them down, jam them down, jam them down. Or we pretend like they don't, like they don't exist. That's what happens when, when we're, we look to our left and our right and look at the, the problems, instead of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, um, we're forced to try to numb ourselves or stuff or, or pretend, right? So that's something what we, what we shouldn't do, right? We shouldn't try to self-medicate or do that other stuff. What should we do? From Pete Scazzaro, biblical grieving, right? Responding to loss and hurt and suffering. Biblical grieving calls us to pour out our feelings and our losses to God. Biblical grieving calls us to pour out our feelings and our losses to God. A couple of, of quick steps about how we do that, right? So the first thing is identify the loss and the emotion that goes with us, with it. 
there's so much going on right now that there's probably not just one thing that we're experiencing that's causing us to feel unsettled or nervous or anxious or frightened, whatever, whatever it might be. So we take some time and we identify those specific things. Um, things like our daily routine has been disrupted, right? I, I work from home regularly. So this isn't a huge adjustment for me. I have a little office. It's about this big and it's plenty of space for me. Um, but now my wife, Gail, is also working from home. Our pantry happens to be in my office. So she has to come in and out of my office on a, on a regular basis. She feels like the office is too tight and too cluttered. Um, and she wants to, to reorganize my office. It's my office. It's fine. It's not too, it's not too cluttered. It is what it is. But if you guys remember a few weeks ago, I encourage us all to stop and think, right? Our daily routine has been disrupted. Gail's not able to go to school and do the therapy with her kids that she loves so much. She's stuck at home with me and we're in a little space, right? Maybe in reorganizing, she's looking to take back some of that control that she feels like she's lost. I don't, you know, we haven't had the direct conversation. Maybe we will after she hears me say all this stuff. Um, but, uh, our daily routines have been have been disrupted. Um, major milestones are being are being disrupted. Uh, things as what we might think of as as trivial or unimportant as um, like I have buddies who who love spring training and baseball, and this is a great time of year for them, and that's gone. Or even more importantly, um, uh, seniors in in college or in or in high school or the Olympic ath athletes who've been training for their spring season and and it's gone. Um, people getting ready to to have showers and get married. The those are have to be postponed or pushed out. Even people grieving the loss of loved ones can't grieve in the way that we're used to. We can't have funerals in the way that we're used to. Milestones are being disrupted. Um, as we look to identify these things we may be experiencing a loss of a feeling of first world safety, right? Previous to this pandemic, uh, stuff like this doesn't happen in America. We're safe, we're safe, we're safe. And that's gone now and that's been disrupted. Um, and the last one I wanna point out, I don't wanna spend too much time on these, is we may have some, we may have had some expectations of God that are blown out the window, right? If I if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I give a little bit of money, then um, bad things won't won't happen to me. Or, kind of more classically, uh, well, if God is good, why do why do bad things happen? Right? We're experiencing a loss of what we might have expected from God. Whether that was be right or wrong, it's still it's still a loss. So we identify we identify those things and the emotion that that goes with them, and then we give ourselves permission to feel those things, right? God has given us healthy outlets, a healthy way to deal with those emotions, whether that be tears or um, appropriate venting or exercise or meditating on scripture. Um, we have to give ourselves permission to feel and respond uh, accordingly, appropriately in healthy ways. And if we don't, folks, those feelings will still come out, right? Again, Pete Scazzaro uses the term leak. We will leak. Right. And our feelings leak in things like sarcasm and fits of rage and passive aggressive behavior. And it just it makes living in close quarters even even more difficult. Um, when I was a younger man, uh, less adept at handling my feelings, I have this vivid, vivid memory of trying to find something in the dreaded Tupperware cabinet. 
I couldn't find it. And before I knew it, every piece of Tupperware in that cabinet had come flying out and I kind of stopped and I looked up and Gail was looking at me and she's like, you okay? <laughs> we really need to get a handle on what's going on here. And, um, and as a result, I went and went and, and talked to some folks and some friends and dealt it with it in, in more healthy ways. Um, if we don't give ourselves permission to feel and experience what's going on right now, it will come out um, in, in unhealthy ways. Maybe the hardest part is waiting, right? So we identify, we feel, and then we wait on God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 37, 7. Um, our timing and God's timing are usually very different, but we can be confident in the fact that God's timing is, is always perfect. And being still before God doesn't mean doing nothing. It means not trying to do his job for him. So um, if you guys have been with us for the last couple of weeks, the run up to today in the book of Psalms, those are great things while you're being still, right? We looked at Psalm one and God has a way for us that he lays out in his scripture. The next week, Leanne talked to us about Psalm 139 and um, how we can cry out to God for his help. And then we looked at uh, remembering who God is and his goodness and how that can be a source of hope for us. And it's also um, brings glory to God. We looked at God the next week as being infinitely good, eternally good. And when we are in relationship with him, that good flows through us to others and ends up, ends up in things like, um, like Sally and her team making masks for nurses and frontline responders. Um, and then last week, uh, Ben talked to us so um, in such a great way about worshiping in all our experiences. Those are all things we can do while we're being still and we're, we're waiting on God. And because these are, these are not like point in time things. You don't check one off and, and move from one to the next. They're probably going to overlap and you're going to be going through all of them at the same, at the same time. Um, and the last one would be to let go. We let go of that, that loss as that feeling, that hurt, that anger, whatever it is, as best we can, we, we address it appropriately. We feel it. And then we do the best we can to, to let go of it. And we do that by trusting Jesus with it. We do it by trusting him to do the things that, that only he can do. Um, if we stay stuck on something, if we, just like anything, right? If I, if I have my water bottle and I'm clutching onto it and Gail wants to hand me something, I have to put my water bottle down so she can hand me something and I can receive it, right? If we are clutching on to that loss and that hurt, whatever it might be, and we don't open up our hands, we can never receive the growth and the gifts that God, that God has for us. Not only do we miss out on the positive, but there's this negative impact. When, when we go through loss or trauma, uh, sometimes we get we get stuck, right? We experience a arrested development. I think of, um, I think of a, a young 13 year old boy who uh, lost a younger brother to, to illness and he didn't know how to deal with it, had a kind of a stoic, unfeeling, emotional, you know, not very emotional family and he got stuck and he's now a grown man with the emotional ability of a 13 year old. Um, it's important that we we let go, not only so we can receive God's gifts, but so we can kind of just move on from that, um, that the unhealthy stuff. I'm not saying forget. I'm saying 
to let go. And just lastly, really practically, I would just encourage you to, to write this stuff down. One of the 12, um, the 12 components of a rule of life I suggested to you a couple of weeks ago was journaling, right? And this is not about like a, uh, you know, a pink little covered diary with when you write in it, you dot the eyes with hearts. Um, I keep mine, I keep mine electronically in a, in an Evernote, um, an Evernote folder. Other people have like leather bound ones. Sometimes they're composition, whatever they are, get something to write on, write with and write this stuff down. When you get it out of your brain onto paper, sometimes that is helpful in, in releasing it. Guys, we're all, um, we're all experiencing, um, hurt and, and loss, but I believe with everything, with everything that I have and everything that I am, that um, Jesus can take that hurt and that loss and he can uh, turn it into growth and, and gifts for us. And I hope you can hear me in this. I, this is not me uh, trying to be yay, rah, rah, or looking at life through rose-colored glasses. I, I um, This is scary, right? This is worrisome. I have loved ones who are on the front, front lines. I know people who are sick and, and who are struggling just to get their, their minds around this. But Jesus led the way for us when he experienced more pain and more suffering than any of us ever have or ever will. And then he beat it and he rose from the dead. You guys, this is the crux of what we believe, right? This is when we trust Jesus and let go, we trust him to do the things that we can't. We can't bridge that gap. We can't bear the weight of sin. But he did. Right? And he proved everything that he said and did when he walked the earth, he made good on it when he rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from the dead, not even his most critical scholars can argue with the fact that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty. So this morning, you guys, as we deal with all of this uncertainty and all of these emotions, I want us to reflect and remember on Psalm 22. Psalm 22 starts with cries of abandonment. And it ends with shouts of unbelievable victory. And that's what we celebrate next week. That's why we celebrate Easter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know there are no magic words. We know there is no self-help that makes this better. We place ourselves before you, the God of the universe. We thank you, Jesus, because you know pain and hurt and loss and grief. We trust in you and your, your ability to bring life out of loss. We trust you to meet all of our needs. We believe that all of God's promises are yes and amen in you. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Amen.